Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. Hey, if you have a Bible, open up to Philippians chapter 3 this morning. Philippians chapter 3. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'll make sure you get one. We'd like to have you have the Word of God in your lap this morning. Philippians chapter 3. So far in this chapter, Paul has spoken to us about salvation and sanctification. He started in verses 1 through 11 using accounting terms and talking to us about salvation. At the fact that if we're trying to work our way to God, that it will work out to a total loss on your end. You cannot, you cannot work your way to God. There, listen, you're, the, the reality is, is perfection is the requirement, and all of us fall short of that. And so our works, you know, although they might be good in an earthly sense, will never be good enough. But Paul goes on to tell us that if we really want to obtain salvation, if we want to be saved, that we can't rely on ourselves, but we have to rely on Jesus Christ, that it's by grace through faith that you're saved, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And so Paul says, if you put your faith in Jesus then you will get a credit to your account that will go for all of eternity. You will, will not be able to outspend the righteousness that you've been, that's been accredited to your account. And so he speaks to us about that in verses 1 through 11. Then he goes on and, and he starts to speak about sanctification, the process of becoming more like Jesus. And uh, he, he, he uses, he, he's like a coach in verses 17 uh, uh, really, verses 12 through 16, he, he's, he's like a coach that's uh, coaching an athlete, and he's encouraging them to press on towards the prize. What he's really calling us to do is uh, to, to really uh, try and attain that whatever level of perfection that we can. Like, we're supposed to work hard at this thing called Christianity. Like, we're, we're, we're resting in Christ and His works for salvation, but on a sanctification level, we are working out our salvation, if, as it were, that we are trying to become more like Jesus on a daily basis. That requires effort on our part. You know, just as an athlete would have to eat certain kinds of foods to take his, uh, you know, his game to another level, so too a Christian has to eat the proper diet. They have to, they have to focus on certain things in order to obtain the prize. The prize that Paul told us about is perfection. The prize is to become really like Jesus, identically like Jesus, to be perfect like Jesus. That's the prize. And so verses 12 through 16, as we considered those last week, um, he gave us six prerequisites that were required in order for us to press on. And if you missed that message, you can pick it up on our website or you can pick it up on our YouTube or Facebook page and uh, check it out. Make sure you do. It's, it was, it's some great content about, as a Christian, what we're called to, how we're supposed to be living our lives. Now, as we move on, in the last portion of chapter 3, Paul speaks to us about citizenship, about citizenship. In verses 17 through chapter 4, verse 1, Paul will tell us where our citizenship is and what it means for us. The title of my message this morning is Understanding Our Citizenship. So stand with me if you would. We're going to read our verses this morning. Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 17, Paul says, Brothers, join in imitating me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have seen, you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Father, we thank You for Your Word this morning. We thank You for what it has to say to us today. God, we humble ourselves before you and we desire for you to speak into our lives. Remove any deception, Lord. Remove anything that would 
hinder us from running our race well. Lord, speak to our hearts today. Transform and change us by the power of the Holy Spirit through your word this morning. We thank you so much for the privilege it is to be here. We long to hear your voice, and so speak to us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. When a baby is born, they are immediately issued something vital to their life. You know what that is? A birth certificate. They are issued a birth certificate, and that certificate not only will serve as a great reminder to their parents about the date that they were born, because <laughs> we need all the help we can get sometimes, right? Especially my wife. She's, we have four kids, and she's like, when were they born again? And <laughs> I'm, so we, have, we write it down. But anyway, that's a whole other story. But, but it, it not only establishes their, the date of birth, but more importantly, it establishes their legal identity. It establishes their legal identity. It contains vital information such as the child's legal name, the parents to which the child belongs, the state to which the child is resident to, and most importantly, the nation to which the child claims citizenship. Archbishop uh, Desmond Tutu said regarding the birth certificate, it's a small piece of paper, but it actually establishes who you are and gives access to the rights and the privileges and the obligations of citizenship. Now, that is, a, that is a true statement. Listen, without a birth certificate, as you know, you're not going to be able to do a whole lot. It'll be difficult for you to get a driver's license. It'll be difficult for you to get a job. It will be difficult for you to get a passport. It will be difficult for you to function in life. That birth certificate becomes, it follows you through all of your days on this earth. And it establishes your legal identity. It establishes, uh, you know, your citizenship. Without a birth certificate, you cannot prove your citizenship, which means that you cannot receive the benefits of being a citizen of a nation. Now, some of you uh, don't, maybe don't understand all the, 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 the benefits of being a United States citizen. There are some great benefits of being a United States citizen. There are also some obligations. Let's start with the obligations first. First and foremost, you are obligated as a U.S. citizen to obey the law. You are also obligated as a U.S. citizen to pay taxes. You're obligated as a U.S. citizen to serve in the armed forces if necessary. You are also obligated to, uh, to, to, to appear in court if summoned by way of jury duty. <laughs> so those are the four real obligations of a U.S. citizen. Now, the benefits far outweigh that, though. U.S. citizens have a right to vote. We have a right to run for public office. We have a right to be federally employed. Um, we, we have a right uh, to never be deported, which is important. Uh, we have a right, uh, I keep losing my place, to have freedom to travel to 180 countries with no visa. Uh, we have the right to sponsor others to get green cards. We, we, most importantly, though, we have the right to be eligible for free money. Did you know that? You're eligible for free money as a U.S. citizen. Not only this, but also as a U.S. citizen, you are backed by the United States government. Anybody have a passport? The very first page of your passport says something incredible. It says something incredible about your citizenship in this nation. Here's what it says. The Secretary of State of the United States of America hereby requests all whom it may concern to permit the citizen slash national of the United States named herein to pass without delay or hindrance and in case of need to give all lawful aid and protection. The Secretary of State has your back. This, 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 this place called the United States has your back. They say they do. That is the reality. 
as a citizen of the United States, you don't stand alone. You have, you have an entire nation that backs you. And we've seen this, you know, throughout. Of course, we can always complain about how they didn't do things, but we've seen how the United States has come to aid in various different, for various different people who have been trapped in different countries, missionaries that have gone out and they've been trapped, uh, um, uh, you know, so, so we know that this does actually work, that the United States does actually back. They protect their own. Now, anybody can become a United States citizen. You don't have to be born in this country. If you're born in this country, you're automatically a United States citizen. Doesn't matter where your parents come from, it, wherever you are born, you are citizenship too. But you can become a citizen of the United States. You know, you, you, can, you can choose to voluntarily renounce your citizenship of whatever country you were born to, and you can become a United States citizen. There is one, one particular uh, case where someone can obtain what's called dual citizenship. They can have citizenship in more than one country. But for the most part, when somebody comes to the United States and they desire to become a United States citizen, they are going to be required to renounce their citizenship of whatever country they came from. Um, that means that they will no longer claim membership to that nation. They are going to renounce it, and thus they will no longer receive the benefits of that nation, including the protection. So understanding your citizenship becomes important. Understanding your citizenship becomes important. Paul wants to speak to us about our citizenship in Christ. He wants us to understand what the benefits and what the obligations are for a citizen of heaven. For you see, when you were born again, when you were born again, you renounced your citizenship to this world. You said, no longer will I be a citizen of this world I am proclaiming a new citizenship in heaven. There was a legal ceremony that took place where, where God, you stood before the judge of all and you said, I renounce my citizenship of this world. I want to receive the citizenship in heaven. And there was a gavel that went down and he said, justified in the name of Jesus Christ. The renunciation has happened. You are no longer a citizen of this world Therefore, you are no longer obligated, nor, are, nor do you have the benefit of, become, of being a citizen of this world. But we do have the obligations and the benefits of being a citizen of heaven. And listen, they are far better, amen? So what Paul wants us to understand as we come to these verses, he wants us to understand our citizenship. What does it mean to be a citizen of heaven? What does that mean? There are four things that, that Paul points out to us here in this text regarding our citizenship that we need to understand. First, he declares that citizens of heaven have a particular walk. Citizens of heaven have a particular walk. Look at verse 17. Paul says, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Paul begins to talk about our citizenship by referring to a walk that citizens in heaven are to have, citizens of heaven are to have. There are cultural traits that a citizen of heaven is supposed to display. There are we're supposed to walk in a certain way. Now, culturally speaking, you know, when you go to other countries, there are certain traits that you can point out. There are certain things that they do. They look a certain way. They do certain things because that's cultural to their, 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 their nation or their city. In, fa in fact, if you're in Nicaragua, you might notice that they don't point with their fingers. They point with their lips. You know, like that. You're like, what's up? You know, you're like, what is that, man? What is that? You're like, so you're trying to kiss me or something. If you're in Greece... If you're in Greece and you want to wish someone well, you spit at them. That's disgusting. If you're in Russia, this, this is funny. If you're in Russia and it's September 12th, uh, and I would say you're married because that's a, that's a prerequisite for the Bible, but here's the thing. On September 12th in Russia, you get the day off of work so you can procreate. Like, they're just like, we just need to get some more people in this world, so you guys have this day off. It's a national, that's part of the trait of the culture there. I don't know. I didn't write it. 
if you're in Denmark, you don't go to a park to socialize. You go to a cemetery. How awkward is that? You go to a cemetery, and that's where people socialize in Denmark. They're, they're obviously very nice. If you're in Japan and you do not slurp your noodles, you're saying that they're bad. So you're just like, you know, your mom's like, I told you not to do that. that in that culture, that means that you're loving the food. Listen, every culture has certain traits that they're supposed to be like, even the heavenly culture. The heavenly culture has certain traits that you and I are to replicate. We're, we're to live out. Just like Egyptians have a certain walk, so too do Christians. We have a certain walk. And Paul wants us to understand what that, what that walk looks like. And so he tells us here in this passage, brothers, join in imitating me. Now, I don't know about you, but when I see this, kind of conversation, and Paul says this a few times. He says it also in the, to the Corinthians. He tells them to imitate me as I imitate Christ. And you think like, wait a second. What, well, who is this guy doing? Why is he saying this? Is he saying, hey, I'm super spiritual, so follow me? No. Because we just finished reading in the, in the verses preceding that Paul said three times, I have not arrived spiritually. Like, I'm not where I need to be. I'm not who I once was, but I'm not where I need to be. Like, I'm on a journey just like you, and I'm pressing on towards the price. He's not saying, hey, I'm super spiritual so you can follow me. He, he, he's telling us it's an invitation for us to imitate the pursuit of becoming more like Jesus. That's what he's saying to us, for us to imitate. He said, listen, if you, want to, if you want to see what it looks like to become a Christian, I promise if you look at me, you won't see perfection, but what you will see is somebody pursuing Jesus with everything that they have. Like if you look at me and you imitate me, and this is Paul speaking, he's saying you will see a passion for Jesus that hopefully you would see in other people, but you are going to see that in me because I'm on a pursuit. I am pressing on towards the prize for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And, and he's speaking about the pursuit of becoming more like Jesus. Paul is drawing our attention to a particular walk that we're to have as citizens of heaven. It's a walk that brings glory to Christ and not glory to self. It's a particular it's a it's a peculiar walk actually for, for most because it involves self-denial and it involves servanthood. Nonetheless, it is a walk of the citizen of heaven. It's the walk of the citizen of heaven that will cause us to become more like Jesus. There are specific things that we are called to walk in throughout the New Testament. Let me give you a few of them. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 tells us we are to walk in faith, not by sight. Citizens of heaven walk by faith, not by sight. Galatians 5, 16, he says, But I say walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Colossians chapter 4, verse 5, walk in the light. We have fellowship with one another in the blood of Jesus. Or, I'm sorry, walk in the light. Wait, where am I at? Colossians chapter 4, verse 5, walk in wisdom towards outsiders making the best use of time. And 1 John chapter 1, verse 7 says, But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. These are a few of the cultural traits, the walk that we are called to um, have as citizens of heaven. We're called to walk in a particular way. Now, notice Paul doesn't just say, hey, just watch me. He goes on in, the, in, in this very first verse, and he says, in verse 12 here, and he says, but, but you can also, verse 17, you can also watch other people. Keep your eyes on those. That is plural. It's not just singular. He's not just saying, watch me. But keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have, listen, in us. I think it's interesting that he, that he ends it like that. Why doesn't he say, in me? It would seem better to go. Like, just, you know, you can look at other people, but also you can look at me. But he says us. 
And I think that is for a very important reason. Some believe that Paul, the us there, Paul is speaking about Timothy and Epaphroditus, who the Philippians knew well. Some believe that he's referencing them. Others believe that it's just a polite way in, in the culture to refer to himself. So he's saying us, but he really means me. That's when I tell my wife, you know, that's how she looks at it. When I say, hey, we really need to do the laundry, she goes, <laughs> you mean I really need to do the laundry. Apparently, that's what I mean by that. But, but so, so some people believe that he's speaking about Timothy and Epaphrodite. Some believe that he's just being polite and speaking about himself. I believe that Paul is speaking about anyone who's pressing on towards the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That means you, Christian. He's referencing you. So your walk ought to be worthy of being, being imitated. It ought to be worthy of somebody being able to watch and say, oh, that's how you do it. Some of us would say, oh, man, that's a heavy burden to carry. Come on, people. I know. You never watch me. You watch Jesus. And we say that. And yet the Bible tells us that we as Christians ought to exhibit certain fruit in our life. That we are supposed to have a walk that is identifiable by other people. It's not, a, you know, listen, it is not, um, you know, a, a privilege for somebody to call you or to come to you and say, I never knew you were a Christian. That's not good. That's not good at all. We should be living in such a way that people go, there's something different about you. You don't have to use words, folks. You can live your life in such a way that people can go, man, there's something different. Because here's the reality is that on the horizontal, we're all the same. We all go through difficult things. We all go through hardships. We all go through um, pressures in life. We all have challenges. We all have all of these things going on in our life. The question is, is how do we look when we're going through them? As Christians, we ought to look, we ought to look different than people of the world. Why? Because we have a hope. We have a hope in Jesus. We have a hope in a God that is able to do anything, right? So every, every circumstance, every situation that we find ourselves in, we, we can look at it and go, man, Lord, you really have yourself in a pickle here. I don't know how you're going to get out of this, but it's going to be fun to watch. You know, we really can have that kind of a resolve with our circumstances. And I understand that sometimes it's not like that. But what I do know as a Christian is that God has a purpose and he knows what he's doing and I can trust him in it, right? So I'm going to look different than somebody else who has no hope at all. They have nowhere to go except for on the horizontal. They have friends that are telling them to do this. They have counselors and psychologists and psychiatrists and all these people coming at them saying, take this, do this, whatever. And that's the only hope they have. But we have a power from on high. We have somebody who's in control of everything that we can, by the blood of Christ, come boldly to and make our requests known to him. And we can leave it at his feet. And we can have a peace that surpasses all understanding. That's how a Christian walks. Now, is your life, you know, worthy of being modeled? Paul is asking, Paul is saying that there, are, there, there ought to be something that people could model in your life as a Christian. Something in your life that is, you know, that, is, that, that, that people can go, yeah, that's what it looks like. That's what we should be doing. Do you walk in such a way of being worthy of being imitated? Listen, if that's not you today, then you need to find somebody on the horizontal that you can watch and just do what they do. Just do what they do. Just model what they're doing. Listen, if it's, it's, it doesn't matter what discipline you're in. It doesn't matter if it's work or, or Christianity or, or sports or whatever it is. If you want to be better at what you're doing, you find people that are better and you hang out with them and you do what they do. It's that simple. You want to have a better walk with Jesus? Find people that you admire that have that walk that you desire to have and start hanging out with them and see what they do. You will, first and foremost, notice that they are imperfect. And that's okay because all of us are imperfect. But there ought to be, it's what we do with that imperfection that matters, folks. We are all going to fail in certain areas in our life. We're going to fail in certain ways. But it's how we deal with the failure 
that matters. It's how we press on towards the prize in the midst of these things. And so, you know, you're going to walk, you hang out with people, you're going to see some of the flaws that they have, some of the things that they're working out, and, and you're going to watch God work in their life, and you're going to go, oh, okay, I can do that. Listen, if you spend enough time with me, you're going to go, man, really? How's God use that guy? You know, if you, if you use, it was a joke, yeah, you can laugh. I mean, I appreciate it, man. One guy got it. Praise the Lord. <laughs> But uh, uh, seriously, if you, if you ha- I don't care who it is, if you hung out with Billy Graham enough, you would catch some great things, but you would also see the humanity at work. So if you're, if you're thinking, like, God could never use me in this way, like, no one would ever want to model what I'm doing, well, maybe it's because you're not walking the right way, but, but maybe it's because you have, you're thinking that, you know, you have to be perfect to be modeled, and the only one that's perfect is Jesus, and he is the perfect example. But I need a practical example on earth. Like, I need a brother. I need, I need somebody in my life that's like, hey, I'm not perfect, but I'm doing my best. I'm pressing on, right? And I, wanna, and I watch those people, and I want to see what that looks like. You know, Paul, Paul had a, a Timothy in his life, but he also, he, there was other people. He had, the, the Lord himself was his discipler. And you should always have two people in your life, folks, you should always have a Paul in your life, someone who's discipling you. You should always have someone that you're discipling. You should always have that in your life. You should have a Paul and a Timothy in your life. And if you don't, then you need to look for that person. God will give you that person if you, if you ask him, Lord, give me a Paul. Lord, give me a Timothy. I want to disciple somebody. I want to share. This is what it looks like to walk out the Christian faith as a, as a citizen of heaven. We have a particular walk. Not only that, but we also have a particular love. Look at verse 18, where Paul said, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Not everyone that lives in a particular nation is a true citizen. You know that? They're not a good citizen. There's many, many people that are born in the United States that don't care about their citizenship in the United States. There are some people that come to the United States, they become citizens for the purpose of sabotage. You know that? They're called spies. These are people that come into our land and they, they infiltrate and they get set up. They are imposters of citizens. They have a piece of paper. They set an oath and yet they are not true. Paul is saying that there are those kind of citizens who are imposters in the Christian faith. He's saying there are citizens that replicate what a true citizen looks like. They look like it, they talk like it, but they are not true citizens of heaven. Now, this is problematic. It's problematic for any nation. And this is semi-problematic for the church. The reason it's problematic is because Everybody is, you know, the, the, the media picks up on the, the church and all the bad things going on, and it gets publicized everywhere, and, and it's the enemy's way of trying to put a mark on God. But we know that he loses, right? So no matter what he does, you know, no matter how much he tries to defame Jesus, it can't be done. But it is problematic for the church. It's problematic when you have somebody who stands in a pulpit who claims to be a citizen of heaven but is not. You have somebody who is a, a board member of a church that is making decisions that affect the direction of this church or what they allow doctrinally in a church, but they're not a citizen of heaven really. But they say they are. If people that are passing out bulletins at doorways, smiling, getting to know people and for the purpose of sabotage. Listen, Paul was worried about it in this culture, in, in back on biblical days, this is 2,000 some years ago, 2,000 years ago or so, and it's still a problem today. There are those in the church that have set themselves up uh, for the purpose of sabotage. They are messengers of Satan. You see, the enemy, it's been said that if he can't beat you externally, he will beat you internally. So if he can't beat you, you know, can't beat the church on the outside, then what he'll do is join the church and he'll try and cause the church to implode on the inside. 
He'll create division. He will try and sabotage the work that God is doing in any particular church. He is a great deceiver, and he sent many spies into the land to sabotage. Paul wrote about this to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 13 through 15. He said, for such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond with their deed. Listen, there are those false men in the church today. There are those, those deceitful workmen that are disguising themselves as people, as citizens of heaven. We are to beware. Jesus warned us about this. In his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, he said, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Listen, there are people in the church today that fit this description. They serve in leadership roles. They serve in children's ministry. They serve in every capacity that you can think of. The enemy doesn't, is no respecter of, of any person. He doesn't care if it's a child. He doesn't care if, if it's an elderly person. He's no respecter. He is a deceiver, and he is trying to steal, kill, and destroy. And so we have to beware we have to watch out. We have to look around. How can we tell? How can we tell if, if somebody is a true citizen or if somebody is a, is, is a false citizen, if somebody is an imposter? How can we tell? Number one, we can tell by their doctrine. You can tell by their doctrine. The, the devil, the devil he, he used the word of God, but it was always a half-truth, which is a full lie. So he always deceived from the, from the very beginning if you go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, what was the deception? Here was what it was. Did God really say? Did God really say? Well, it, was an, it was an attack on God's word. Listen, he is not unique in the way that he tempts. It's the same way, always. He will come at God's people in the same exact way, always. It will be an affront on God's word, always. The way that you can tell whether somebody is true or not is what is their doctrine. How do they believe that, that you're saved? You know, what is it that um, they're saying about Jesus? That's how you know. But here's what I want you to understand. I said this last week, and I want to say it again. Even when these imposters show up, you have to understand that they're not the real enemy. The real enemy is Satan. That these people have been deceived. And so that, that's why we're called to love our enemies. We're, and I'll talk about that in a second. We're called to love them because they're deceived. They know, Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they, he was speaking about you, for they know not what they do, right? He was speaking about you and I. He was speaking about everybody in the world. We know not what we do. So we have to be careful about how we deal with that. But, but we have to understand that we can look simply at the way, what somebody is saying about the Word of God, what they're saying about Jesus, how they, um, you know, how they portray Him, and, uh, you know, how they, how they portray what it means to be saved. Thankfully, God gave us a manual for life in the Word of God, and we are called to be Bereans, as it says in the Word, that we're called to search the Scriptures to see that, it, you, you know, that, that whatever's being said, is it in the Bible, or just, just, listen, there are so many Christian cliche stains that are not in the Bible. You know, we just go around and say, yeah, God will never give you more than you can handle. That's not in the Bible, folks. That's not in the Bible. That's a Christian statement that gives us comfort in thinking that, you know, uh, God will never give me. God always gives you more than you can handle so that he can show up and handle it for you, right? That's the point of it. You know, God helps those who help themselves. That's not in the Bible at all. That is not in the Bible, you know. Kill them all like God sort them out. That also is not in the Bible. So, you know, you have to be careful about what's being said. And, and thankfully, we have a lens to look through. It's called the Word of God. And I hope that as you, you know, whatever's said out of this pulpit or wherever you go, no matter what you're listening to, that you're listening to it through the lens of Scripture. And you're going, man, I don't know about that. Yeah, are we going to have differences on certain things? Sure. Of course, that's okay. 
you know, you get to know a person's heart as you listen to their doctrine and you get to understand, are they genuine? You get to know real relationship with somebody. You go, man, that person's real genuine. That they're, I don't believe this doctrine that they believe, but it's not a salvation issue, and maybe I see it a little differently, and that's okay. You know, but, but the reality is, is what are they saying about Jesus, and how do you get to heaven? That's what's important. And, and so we, we can know that by looking at a person's doctrine. We, we, we need not be deceived. We have to be Bereans. Look at the posture that Paul is taking towards these imposters. He says, I'm writing. I've, I've spoken to you about this, and I'm going to speak to you about it again, even with tears right now. Literally weeping as he's, as he's speaking, as these words are being written, and he's, he's crying over these people because he knows that they are fake citizens, and he knows what that means for them in the end. He understands what it means to be separated from God from all of etern- for all of eternity. Their end is destruction, he said. That is not a pleasantry, man. There is some depth in that statement, and Paul is weeping over this, understanding their end. Their end is destruction, and that grieved him. Listen, citizens of heaven have a particular love namely for their enemies. We have a particular love, namely for our enemies. It's the heart of God that's working through Paul in this situation as he is weeping over, uh, you know, these people who are enemies of the cross. God wills that no one would perish, but all would come to repentance. God finds no pleasure in the death of the wicked. This is the heart of God. Like when God sees sinners he, he, he weeps over that. As Jesus came to Jerusalem and he saw the, the hardness of the heart of the, of the Israelites and, and the, the nation of Israel, he wept over them. He just said, oh, man, what a broken place. Man, if they were only willing, and that's the key. All of us are broken, but are you willing to see it and are you willing to be made whole? That's the question. Or do you want to stay in your brokenness? Jesus would weep over those who want to stay in their brokenness because they think they have a better way. It's called pride. I can make my way. No, you can't. And Paul has the same heart of Jesus here. He understands that, listen, these people are self-seekers. They are, they are not able to fully grasp what they're missing, and yet they know they're missing something. That's what they're in search of. You know people in your life like that. They're going from thing to thing to thing, trying to find peace and satisfaction in horizontal things that will only bring destruction. It's drugs and alcohol. It's, it's, it's licentiousness. It's whatever it is. It's like, I just need a little relief, and so I'm going to do this, and yet it's, an, it's a dead-end road. It's an empty well that people are drinking from. Now, our posture sometimes as Christians, we can look at people like that and we can go, man, what a bunch of losers. You know, we, we can become so, so spiritually high and mighty that we can look down on people who we once were and somewhat struggle with even today, and we can say, man, you guys suck. You know, and, and the Lord would say, what are you doing? Can you not relate to these people? Paul, in this moment, he can relate to these people. He was a persecutor of the church. He murdered people. He understood what it meant to fight against God. Right? And yet, so many people come to Christ and they take this posture against sinners as if they were never one. And, and they stand righteous in, in their own righteousness, as it, as it were, and, and they look down on people. Be careful. Be very, very careful. Don't forget where you came from. Do not forget where you came from. And praise the Lord that you're not who you were. But do not forget where you came from because those are the very people God is asking you to reach. Think about it before you were a Christian. What would get my attention? What what was said that would trigger my mind? Why am I here today? Who said what? How did God use whatever he used in my life to get me to that place where I bowed my knee? You had a need. 
and so do they. And don't forget that. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, that we were all once dead in the trespasses and sins in which uh, we once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Listen, this is either the greatest two words in the Bible, but God, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love uh, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. I read that because I think it's important for us to remember. I think it, there's an overestimation of ourselves sometimes when we, after we've walked with the Lord for a, a, a period of time and we become unloving towards other people who are struggling, people who are stuck in sin, and we can't identify with them. And it's like we have this pride and this disdain for these people. We, we should have a disdain for the sin, but not the sinner. We're called to love the sinner, but hate the sin. To, to, to love those. God so loved the world. He loved you at your worst, and he loves that person at their worst. And so you should love them too. Why? Because he loves them. If God cares about something, if God loves somebody, then I should love them too, and I should care about it. My heart should be his heart. His heart should be my heart. I should see through his eyes in the world. I should be looking through the, through the lens of God as I look at other people. It's the lens of love. I think Paul can totally relate to these people. And that's why he's weeping for them. Because he understands they're stuck. And some of them will never depart it. Some of them will remain blinded all the days of their life, and they will die in their sin. And that grieves him, and I, that should grieve you. And if it doesn't grieve you, it doesn't grieve you, you need to pray that God will give you a compassionate heart for sinners, that God will, give, that God will remind you of all that he has done in your life. Some of you were raised in the church, and you've, you don't, you, you know, you've never seen like clear what darkness looks like in your life and what light does. I lived 20-some years totally in darkness, and then I came to Christ, so I understand the difference. My kids, however, don't. And that's something that scares me. They don't know the difference. I don't say that you have to know the difference, but, but to, 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 to look at people who are deep in sin, to understand that God has forgiven you greatly and that you can reach that person because he can reach anybody, you know, there, there needs to be an awareness of that. I love the saying by uh, Tim Keller that said, you know, we are, we are far more sinful than we dare think, but we are far more loved than we dare hope, right? That's the way we ought to think about Christianity and about people in the world, and this is the way that Paul thinks. He has a love for his enemy, those who are enemies of the Christ, cross of Christ, not only do citizens have a particular walk and a particular love, but also a particular moment that we're waiting for. Look at verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. This is the main point. Like in this section, this is what Paul's trying to get to. You're, you're a citizen you're, you're, you're citizen in heaven. It's a declaration that, there, that, that we belong to another place, that, we are, that this is not our home. Like we live here, but this isn't our home. We're visitors here. We're sojourners. We're just working through, journeying our way home. We are not of this world. We are in the world, but not of the world. This is not our home, and Paul wants to make that clear. He wants us to understand it. But that doesn't mean we don't fit in with people around here, folks. Some Christians are really good at just being 100% weird 
100% awkward, like, like, why are you so weird? Because I'm a Christian. You're like, please, don't say that. Don't. No, you're just weird. You're just plain weird. It's not because you're a Christian. You're just, you're strange, man. You're awkward. People blame their redemptive state on their awkwardness. You know, it's not, that's not the problem. Um, Jesus wasn't awkward or weird with people. You know that? Like people wanted to see Jesus. Not only because they wanted to get something from him, of course, but Jesus was just a normal dude. He fit in with his culture. Like, he, he, didn't, he didn't dress different. He didn't talk different. He didn't even use these and those. Did you know that? He, he did not speak in King James language, just in case you were wondering. But, but Jesus was a guy that fit in with the culture. Now, John the Baptist, that dude was weird. But there was a purpose in his weirdness. Right, that was a God-ordained weirdness. Like, he was supposed to, like, look like Elijah. He was supposed to be dressed in camel hair, eating locusts out in the wilderness, and thousands of people would come see the guy. That's God. And so if you're super weird and thousands of people are coming to see you, you're telling about Jesus, do it. Go for it. But if you're not, stop. Just stop it. Be like Jesus. You know, don't be of, don't be, don't be of the world, but be in the world. Make sure you're not separating yourself in things that don't matter, things that push you away from having relationships with people that you can bring the gospel to, right? We have to be relatable. But Paul's saying that our citizenship is in heaven, that he's telling us that we're not of this world, but we're in the world. And I don't know about you, but, but there is a longing. When, I, when I'm gone from home for a while, there's a longing for me to be home, Right? I've gone to, I used to travel for my job, and I used to go to India and China and all over the world, Europe or whatever, and I would be gone for a couple weeks sometimes. One time, there was a stint where I went to India like four or five times in, in like a period of three months, so I was gone most of that three months. And man, I used to, you know, I, I, I enjoyed it for a couple minutes, and then I started missing home, and I'd become homesick, and I'd be like, oh man, I want to go home. I just want to go home. And I wonder if that's a longing of your heart because this is not your home. Although we have not been where we're going, it is our home and it is in our heart. And there is a longing for it. And in fact, citizens of heaven, they haven't, they, we're eagerly awaiting a particular moment where Paul says Christ will appear. Where Jesus, he will appear in, in that moment. Uh, you know, we will... Go to be with him. There, he is eagerly awaiting this. This is like a groom that's standing up in the front of a, whatever, a church or a park or whatever, and he's waiting for his bride. And when his bride comes out, it's like, whoa, breathtaking. This is, we're eagerly waiting for that time. You know, you guys are, the Durlas are getting ready to do that here. But, uh, you know, you're eagerly awaiting to see Jesus. And when you see him, you will become just like him. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 15, in the twinkling of eye, we shall, we're just going to be, in, in a moment, we are going to be changed. We will be like him. We will put off mo morality and put on immorality. We will, oh, wait a second, is that a word? That's not immorality, immortality. How about that? We're going to become more sinful than ever, you know. That's hashtag bloopers. But uh, we were, we're going to be just like Jesus. The flesh will be terminated. The flesh will be gone. No more sinful desires. We will, our bodies will be changed, no longer limited to the laws of our universe. We'll be able to walk through walls just like Jesus did when he was resurrected. We are going to be able to fly. Who knows what we're going to be able to do? We are going to be able to eat, which is awesome. We're going to be able to have the marriage supper of the Lamb with our Lord. Man, listen, if you're not excited about that, then you don't quite understand your citizenship. If you're not excited about the fact that one day Jesus is going to appear to you, and that appearance may come in different ways for, for each of us, right? He, he, he's going gonna to appear to us maybe through our death. He's going to appear to us maybe through the rapture. You know, for some later, maybe he's going to appear to them when he comes in his second coming who have to go through the tribulation. I don't believe that we will. But there are those that, that may, may go through the tribulation. There are those that will go through the tribulation. 
that will enter into the millennial reign of Christ. They will see him coming. Whatever the case is, when he appears, you will be with him. And it's going to be awesome, man. Can't wait for that day. Listen, I long for home. I long for home. Paul, he said, man, I long for home, but I'm caught in the middle because I want to I be home to be with the Lord, but I also want to be here because I think that you need me as well. Not that God needed him, but God was, had a plan for him. And so he was trapped in between the two, and maybe that's you. Listen, I can tell you when the Lord calls me home, I'm out of here. I don't, I'm not waiting. I don't want to be here. I want to be with the Lord. But the Lord has a plan for your life right now. That's why we don't take things into our own, our own hands. That's why no matter how bad it gets here, we press on towards the prize because he has a plan and he knows what he's doing and he wants to work out something in my life still. He wants to use me for some purpose. You will see him one day. He will not leave you here. If you are his, he will come get you. He promised that. And you can bet on that. Citizens of heaven not only have a particular walk, a particular love, a particular moment that we're waiting for, but also a particular stance that we're called to take. Verse four, chapter 4, verse 1, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. This is the summary of what Paul had just, just finished saying here in, the, in this chapter. This is the summary of it all. He says, therefore, um, you know, because of all that I have just said, stand firm thus in the Lord. Why is Paul exhorting these believers to do this? Why is he telling them now, after everything that he said about salvation, about sanctification, about citizenship, is he now saying, stand firm? Because we waver. That's why. Because we waver. He's in exhorting these body of believers here in Philippi and also us here today that we are to stand firm in the Lord. Paul wants you and I to avoid every pitfall that we possibly can avoid. And those pitfalls will come if you do not stand firm. If you don't stand firm in your faith, you will find yourself down roads that you never thought were possible. If you don't stand firm in your faith, you will, you will find yourself in places that you're like, how did I get here? You must stand firm in your faith. That means that you, you need to, you can, you can withstand the, 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 the arrows of the enemy that you draw back and you withstand the, the attack that's coming. You also withstand the pressure that's going to be put on you. Jesus promised you pressure. He said, I'm going to give you tribulation. You're going to have persecution. You're going to have these kinds of things that you are going to need to stand firm in and, and just take up your shield of faith and, and wait on the Lord. We're, we're called to stand firm. Citizens of heaven have a particular stance that we're to take. But notice the how. He's not saying for you to stand firm in your faith. Stand firm in your faith. Well, what is your faith? Man, my faith, faith is weak in this moment. I'm not able to stand firm. Well, good, because it's not, it's not you that you're supposed to stand firm in. It's in the Lord. Stand firm in the Lord. When you find yourself in an attack, you don't go out there by yourself and say, I'm going to stand firm. You're going to get plowed over. You find you find the strong tower. You run to the one that is mighty and you stand be behind him. That's how you stand firm in the midst of persecution, in the midst of pressure, in the midst of all kinds of circumstances. You stand firm in the Lord. And you can do that. He will fight for you. He will give you the ability. He'll show you the way out. But you can stand firm in him. You need to just... Run to the Lord and stand firm in Him. He's the victorious one. He doesn't lose, folks. You can stand firm in Jesus. Citizens of heaven have a particular stance that we are to take, so we need to assume the position, which is to stand firm in the Lord. Amen? Listen, our citizenship is not here on earth. It's in heaven. Thus, we ought to take a, have a particular walk, 
a particular love, a particular moment we wait for, and a particular stance that we take. That's what it looks like to be a citizen of heaven. Now we can apply this to our life. If I'm falling short in any one of these areas, Lord, give me the ability. Run to the Lord. Ask the Lord for help. He's given you his Holy Spirit, folks. You are not short on power. It's not a power problem. It's an application problem. It's like, Lord, help me to put one foot in front of the other and walk out what your word says. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word this morning. Thank you for just giving us the encouragement of knowing that, Father, that we are not of this world, that we have a citizenship that is in heaven, and we long for, for that day, Lord, when you call us home, when we will be with you for all of eternity, and we will be changed, we will be transformed in the very image of your Son, Lord, no longer dealing with the flesh, but we will have a, a spirit body, Lord, that will be perfect. And we just long for that, Father. I pray as we wait, as we walk, Lord, as we love, as we do the things that we're called to do as citizens of heaven here on earth, that you would encourage and help us, Lord. We know that none of this is possible in our own flesh. It's not like we have obtained something and now we just take the ball and run with it. We need to run to you in every moment of our life and need to be refilled. We need to be reinvigorated, God. We need to be uh, just, we need to be filled with your spirit. We need your power, Lord. We need the ability. We need your faith, God. We need to be filled with a greater sense of who you are in our lives, to know you more, that no matter what we might face, we can, we can do it with, with a sense of knowing that you have it in control, you have it under control, you have our best interest in mind, and whatever happens, Lord, we can trust you with it. I just want to encourage, Lord, the body here this morning that may need to be strengthened in some way, shape, or form, maybe to grow in love, maybe to, to grow in their ability to walk out the, the, the things that you've called us to in, in this life. Whatever the case is, Lord, we want to run to you right now. And we want to ask you, Father, to, to strengthen us in these particular areas of our life. Will you fill us with your spirit this morning? Will you help us to be able to overcome the areas where we are falling short, Lord? Will you help us to be able to become the model of what it looks like to be a citizen of heaven? We just surrender ourselves to you once again, Lord. It's all about you. We want to bring glory to your name. So will you come and fill us overflowing and help us to walk out your word in our lives? And Father, I also want to pray for anyone here this morning that's not in right relationship with you that you called them into relationship this morning, that you have said, hey, I love you. I want to forgive you of your sin. I want to make you right so that you can one day, you can wait on the, my son to come and you can be just like him. If that's you this morning, as we continue to pray, just lift your hand up. I want to pray a prayer with you that you might invite Jesus into your life. Is there anyone here this morning that wants to receive Jesus as their savior, to be forgiven for their sins, to know that they know that they know that they're going to heaven. If that's you this morning, just lift your hand. You're going to say a prayer of sincerity to the Lord. Anyone here this morning? If you're online, if you're listening to the radio, you too. You can just lift your hand up. The Lord sees you. The Lord knows. One more moment. Is there anyone here that needs the Lord, that wants to receive Jesus in their life? He is so good. He wants to forgive you. God bless you. Is there anyone else? Is there anyone else this morning? The God of heaven wants to forgive you of your sin and he wants to be with you for all of eternity. Anyone else, just lift your hand. For those of you online, those of you listening on the radio, here in the sanctuary, if you lifted your hand this morning and you want to receive Jesus as your Savior, you pray a prayer with me in your own heart and you just ask God, to come in this morning and say, Father, I come in the name of Jesus and I receive the forgiveness that I need. I'm turning away from my sin and I'm turning to you today. I believe that Jesus died and that he rose again from the dead for me. And I know, God, 
that by putting my faith in him, I will not be put to shame. I receive Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. Make me a Christian now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.